this is Danielle Mayfield, and I'm so excited to be here. This is the first, um, I don't know if I should call it like the embodied spirituality podcast portion of this program, but for the month of September, everybody, we're just starting off. We're very excited about this year, Faith and Justice, and uh, we have a really amazing person to talk to, Cole Arthur Riley, who you might know as the author of Black Liturgies, which is um, very important to me and quite popular on Instagram. And uh, Cole, we can talk about too, like, I want to know, is this is Black Liturgies primarily an Instagram institution or is it all over social media? Yes, thanks for asking. Um, it's all over social media. I'm working to integrate it into um, a website um, as well oh, so other people can have access to it and aren't tied to, you know, these apps who, which weren't really made for Black people. <laughs> so I'm yes. working very – I'm glad you asked that question because I feel like I'm working very – hard to expand it past um, this like social media identity. Oh, yeah. And we can even get into, um, you know, I'll probably want to ask you if Instagram was made for liturgy or not. Uh, but before we do that, I need to talk a little bit more about you. So you're a liturgist and you also uh, are a part of a program at Cornell. Can you tell me your title there again? Yes, I'm the content and spiritual formation manager for uh, Center for Christian Studies at Cornell. Oh my gosh. And so you have multiple uh, things going on in your life. And how many years ago did you start Black Liturgies? I started Black Liturgies about a year and three months ago. So. Oh my gosh. I was like, I thought it was like three or four years old. No, very, okay. it's very new for me. It still oh feels new gosh. for me at least. And it's very successful. Uh, I don't know if everybody listening has heard of it, but you should definitely go check it out on Instagram. There's, I think you have like 130,000 followers. And uh, my experience of it has just been a place of finding somebody saying prayers that just make me feel less lonely in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I've really been intrigued by how you do the inhale, exhale thing. There's probably a better, there's probably a proper word for that. Is that a, <laughs> is that a breath prayer or something? Yes. You use those yeah. words. Okay. Exactly. A breath and I, I need help uh, reminding myself how to breathe um, out the way of the world. And so it's just been like a visceral help to me when I am caught in a cycle of scrolling. Mm -hmm. It's been so powerful. So it's so great to have you here. Um, is there anything else you want you know people to know about you before we just dive right in? No, I think you covered it. Okay. Um, I want to start off first by saying, uh, you know, we're recording this like the second week of September. Um, coronavirus rages on, school is starting. Um, how are you today? Like, how are you coming into this space? Mm -hmm. um, I am depressed. I have been in a heightened depression, a heightened season of depression for a few months now. So I've been lavishing a lot of rest and care on myself and really just trying my best to do at least one thing a day that means something to me. Um, and, and today you're that thing. So no pressure. Oh, wow. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a slow season. Um, 
of just trying to tend to myself truly. Wow. Okay. And you know, you, like you sound really joyful, you look really joyful, but you were just really honest with us and said that you are depressed right now. And I can relate to that. I am like super jazzed to be talking to you. So I do feel very excited, but um, yeah, myself like this past weekend for the first time ever, really, I'm like, I, I could not get out of bed like mm. one day. And that was really a new thing for me. I'm a very anxious person, not used to depression, but uh, my body does work in the way where if I'm in a heightened state of high anxiety, eventually it kicks into depression just to keep me from having a stroke. Isn't that nice of my body mm -hmm. <laughs> to do that? So I'm just like, I don't see how anybody could be doing super awesome right now. Um, but it's nice to just kind of lay that out there as a baseline, um, that it's, it's a really hard season mm -hmm. for all of us. And, um, you posted on your account, your black liturgies account that, uh, because of the depression, you know, you hadn't been posting as much recently. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of wanted to ask you, what was your kind of mental health? What was your overall state when you started black liturgies? And can mm -hmm. you kind of talk us through, um, just how you were feeling about that. And before I keep going, maybe I should even ask you, like, do you consider liturgy a spiritual practice? Because I do, but I'm also not an expert. I don't, I grew up in a very like low church context. So liturgy was not a part of my context. So do you consider it to be a spiritual practice? I do. I, 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 you know, of course I'm biased. I'm probably biased, but I do think it's um, a spiritual practice. I think liturgy can be an incredibly meaningful form for solidarity. Um, mm. you, you know, you're, especially if you practice it in a collective, in a, in a communal setting, you, um, I don't know, maybe some of the people listening have experienced this where, you know, often when you're reading a, a written prayer or a, participating in a liturgy, there are moments that really resonate with you. And you're like, I have an idea. I have a sense for what this means for me. But every once in a while you encounter a line, at least I do, and I'm like, I just have no idea where I, I, I this doesn't resonate deeply with me. This um, I actually have a hard time making sense of what this liturgist is trying to communicate to me. Mm. Um, and I I actually think that's a, a really significant um, or bears a lot of significant potential for solidarity or for a spiritual practice of solidarity when a person is committed to staying in the space, to staying in the words, even if they're not centered in them, um, even if they don't immediately uh, apprehend what they mean. Um, I, I think it, it, it trains you to, to pay attention, to, to remain in someone else's um, emotion or experience of the divine. So I do think it's a spiritual practice. Um, I don't think it's, you know, uh, a necessary, I don't think everyone needs to practice a liturgical, you know, framework um, or participate in liturgy regularly. But for some of us, I think it can be a really meaningful path. Yeah. Did you, did you, I, I was listening to an interview you did where you talked about not growing up in an explicitly religious household. So, so like when was your first experience with liturgy mm -hmm. in a faith, like in a Christian setting? Yeah, it wasn't until very late in college. Um, I had attended some uh, Episcopalian services and um, some ACNA services even. Um, but right after I graduated, I went to work for um, a pretty large 
Episcopal church outside of Philadelphia. And that was the first time I really invested. I, I mean, in college, I was kind of taken by the beauty of, you know, the writing. I studied writing and English in college. And so, man, these are really beautiful words. <laughs> and I think working for that church after I left Pitt was um, kind of the first time I thought about different components of a liturgical service, like not just the written prayer part, but, you know, the standing and sitting, which is exhausting for a lot of people and um, the colors and the smells and this like fully really started to think about this fully embodied spiritual experience that was offered to me through a liturgical service. Wow. And you liked it. I did. Well, okay. To be honest, I liked the writing. I didn't like everything about it, like standing and sitting, um, which is optional, of course, for people who are able or, or feel like it. But just – I, I just remember thinking, like, how many times are we going to stand up? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, just let us sit and let us stay seated. Um, and I remember being kind of just like, uh, I don't know, like eye-rolling it a bit. And I think that in hindsight, that speaks to just the level of disembodiment I was – carrying in my mm. spirituality like I just wanted to sit and be spoken to or sit and read as opposed to engaging other parts of my body and smelling the smells and seeing these colors change like I didn't really want to have to pay attention to my body um, so I still have a complicated emotion with it but for me personally I think it's it's drawing me into what I need which is a more embodied um, spiritual service Wow, I love that. I like I said, I grew up very low church context, um, and I've had a few experiences with liturgy that I can really remember. Me and my husband tried to visit a church when we moved back to Portland that was uh, liturgical Episcopal, and um, these very helpful people tried to help us find like everything in like the huge book that you're supposed to flip around. And yeah. um, it like really bothered my husband. I just felt like I'm doing it wrong, but these people are sweet. They're trying to help, and. <laughs> My husband was sort of like, uh, like if this isn't available for everybody, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. And this feels like there's some big barriers here. Yes. Um, towards everybody being a part of the liturgy. And I get what he's saying, but, um, you know, the past few years in particular, it's been incredible to me how I've had like a, just like a almost a physical reaction to liturgy being very healing and very powerful, especially during the pandemic when I am so isolated. I listened to this uh, app called Pray As You Go. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like Jesuit prayers. Yes. And um, for like at the very end, they they end the prayers together, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, all this stuff. And sometimes the recordings would just have one person say that at the end, and I would get like rageful, like, mm. no. No, I need two or three voices to say it together or mm -hmm. else it doesn't work. And I was like, am I pretending I'm in Harry Potter? Like, this is an <laughs> incantation? Like, what's happening? But I was like, let's just go with it. Let's just go with what your spirit is saying you need, which is you need to hear other voices mm -hmm. in this with you because you feel so alone. 
Mm. But even when you just hear one voice, you're like, no, that's not enough. And so I just try to pay attention, but it's all so weird. And I got to be honest and say, I don't quite understand liturgy. I guess you're giving me a little bit of freedom to be honest in that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I still think it's – there are still moments where I think it's really weird. I mean, even if you attend a – if you attend a church that uses the lectionary and um, I don't really know who's chosen – all of these lectionary readings <laughs> historically, but y- you can't, you you don't have a lot of control over like the passages you're reading. And so I, my partner and I, we, we joke because we'll invite students to a service with us. And it's like always a service where there's this like imprecatory Psalm being read this like angry, <laughs> like bash their skulls. And it's like, you just have to sit there like, well, someone chose this to put in the lectionary and like guess we're gonna be tapping into some anger today and it's really up to the priest to decide like am I actually gonna address that text um I think most good priests would but all that to say we like crack up when we bring students and we're like we promise it's not always like this (laughs) Um, yeah okay that gets to the heart of it doesn't it that we are in a very weird religion the bible is very all over the map it's Mm -hmm. all very weird and yet you've done this beautiful thing where you um have said i'm going to you know take parts of this tradition and i'm going to continue this tradition of writing down written prayers and you didn't just keep it to yourself you you put them out for other people to be a part of and it obviously resonates with people um i'm not sure like anybody in uh you know social media marketing would have said wow liturgies are going to be a huge hit right (laughs) (laughs) they have been and why do you think that is yeah, I've been just scratching my head about this. Honestly, I think um, I, I find that I, I receive a lot of DMs from people who just aren't getting they, – they have a, a strong sense of, you know, belonging with some church or some, you know, Christian tradition. and But it's not meeting the, like, very, you know, credible feelings of alienation, of injustice, of – of rage, of lament, and it's just not not rising to meet that. Um, and I think there are perhaps a lot of spiritual leaders who haven't been able to help people articulate those things. Um, and so I think people are just like kind of maybe hungry for some kind of articulation, really, of like, I, I'm not – I. I I don't often feel like I'm teaching anything or saying anything all that new. Um, Maybe the appeal comes in just the mere fact that I'm saying it and that I've tried my best to put words to a sense that Black people and sometimes other people are feeling. Um, Yeah, but I really don't know. I, I started Black liturgies anonymously. I don't think I would have had the courage to share if um, it wasn't anonymous. I was anonymous for the first month and I got to about 5,000 followers and I just thought, I don't know how long I can keep this like disembodied thing up. Like I'm talking about my body. Also, everyone just assumed I was a man um, and I was oh really my gosh. frustrating. I'm like, I just can't receive one more DM referring to me as a mister. Um, so I like finally, um, started to share myself after about a month but even still I rarely pop up there I've yet to do an IG live like 
by myself and maybe my courage for that with will grow um or maybe people are looking for a space that's not immediately centering any one personality I'm not yeah. sure yeah it's interesting because again i'm not really aware of like the history of liturgy but i'm assuming it's similar to other you know other parts of my upbringing which is white male theologians who are like well we have no bias we just mm -hmm. you know write the things of god as perfectly perfect as it can be and so you know there's this assumption of no bias nobody is writing the liturgy the liturgy wrote itself i guess yes. you know yes and you don't bring that with you and yet there's also like a real spiritual authority in your liturgy and i'm like i don't want to tell you why it's so popular but i want to be like i can tell it's your actual spiritual practice and mm -hmm. i think people can sense when something's real and when something is you know mm -hmm. for content i don't know mm -hmm. maybe i'm being too cynical but i'm like i sense a real spiritual practice that's, mm -hmm. that's why i'm drawn to it and that's so beautiful and um yeah, so I don't know if you had anything you wanted to say too about like just who usually writes liturgies and who we yeah. usually listen to the, in those spaces. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the liturgies that tend to kind of persevere or be named liturgies, I think um, there are a lot of liturgies of different cultures and ethnicities, but they don't it's um uh, they have a little bit more of a, a a lot more of a barrier in actually being named for what they are um but the ones that tend to persevere um in mainstream spaces are white men who you're exactly right try to write or to me appear to be writing as if they're completely unbiased or they're not writing for a very particular group of people and black liturgies i'm i'm just really unapologetic i mean it's in the name you know like i'm not gonna apologize for my particularity and i think a lot of times people think that in order to i don't know how to say this in order to like write something or create something as an artist that transcends you have to be vague you know you have to kind of make it expand <laughs> so that it fits uh, a wide a wide swath of things it's like that's how you create something as an artist that transcends and i've had uh, i had been doing interviews with a few artists for um a, a journal that i was a part of and a number of them kept saying like it's actually in zooming in into like kind of grave particularity that you actually can create things that other people might connect to like it, it, it's very um well it's paradox isn't it uh so i'm pushing against that i'm, I'm not offended when other people find like resonate with black liturgies but i'm always gonna stand pretty firm of like this is who i'm thinking about when i'm writing this <laughs> just is yeah and i think even just thinking about the approach i was given to scripture was also this like very you know literal whitewashing americanized view of it and how um how much more troubling and then therefore piercing like parts of scripture can be to me now as i try and understand the context of you know the author and the writer um and so i think you're totally right like the best writing the writing that moves me is so particular mm -hmm. <laughs> like most christian publishing excuse me for saying this is so boring uh -huh. it's so vague 
because they wanted to sell well um mm -hmm. to everybody in, out there and i'm like no 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 like that's not what makes things interesting mm -hmm. or good or helps you like even catch a bit of it. i loved what you said at the beginning of this podcast when you were talking about like some parts might resonate with you some might not mm -hmm. pay attention to it i'm like that's like wisdom for how to get through life right there that's wisdom for how to read scripture for how to engage liturgy like mm -hmm. learn to pay attention to what is speaking to you and what doesn't mm -hmm. um especially for me as a white person like interrogate like what doesn't speak to me and why is that happening you know all of this mm -hmm. stuff i'm like those are just some really good words to live by and you've mm -hmm. already mentioned that you went to school to study writing yeah and i totally see that in your prayers mm -hmm. um and now you're you're actually um are you finished working on your book like your first book i am i'm i'm approaching the finish line i'm i'm almost done i've actually written it now we're in the editing now it's in production we're in the copy copy editing phase so oh phew copy editing is way better than the other editing oh yes <laughs> <laughs> um does writing feel to you like a spiritual practice um as far as like writing a book versus writing prayers mm-hmm uh it does um i don't know i suspect a lot of people wouldn't experience it this way but i um i have always really struggled to speak out loud um a lot of people who knew me in high school or even knew me in college are kind of perplexed you know whenever i'm on these podcasts and things because um it takes a lot for me to like rouse my spirit to be able to say things out loud in group settings. And there's something about writing that has just been a path to a deeper understanding of my own voice, of my own opinions. And I would say like writing this book, I don't know, probably more than anything else I've done um, has helped me to become honest about who I am and what I actually believe. Um, even if I wasn't always brave enough to actually put it in the book, it's like having to, I kept telling my editors, like, I just want to say the truest thing, you know, the truest thing to me and this season of life to what I, with everything that I know and don't know. Um, and having to figure that out, like just tell the truth and then figure out, are you brave enough to put it in? But either way, you've done the work of figuring out what you think about something. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I I find that just really profound because mo most of publishing is not set up for that quest and um, can be the opposite. It sounds like hopefully you had a better experience. With that. Mm -hmm. I did, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great because so so much of the work that perhaps people in this, you know, program, the Faith and Justice Network program that we have to do is we, if especially if we come from these like intense, conservative, bounded set, you know, religious backgrounds where if you veer off theologically, you're out of the club. You know, a lot of us mm -hmm. maybe are, are in the spot where I found myself a few years ago, which is like, okay, I've been kicked out of the club, but I am still like extremely religious and I don't know what to do about that anymore because I am, I, I'm drawn to liturgy. I'm drawn to these things, but I don't feel comfortable in the spaces I, I grew up in. And so learning how to be true and honest about our faith can be really hard for people who like me have experienced this, you know, a, sh a light shunning. Is that a good way of saying it? I'm not sure. Just, you know, when you're kicked out, you're kicked out. And so, yeah. um, 
I think I can see that in your prayers that you publish. I'm curious, do you do you write prayers for yourself? And are they different than the ones like you can put on social media? Like, are they angrier, sadder, funnier, weirder? I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, I do. Um, I probably do it less than I used to now that I shared them a lot publicly. But um, sometimes, or probably what I do more often is I will, you know, wh- whichever comes first, write a version of the prayer that's posted to the world. That's a little um more specific about the people in my life um I'll use names and situations um yeah and I'll like adapt that for a black liturgy's post or um draw on a black liturgy's post if that makes sense but uh yeah I still write prayers I I journal a lot um pretty much every day and uh it's a really it'd be a weird journal entry where I didn't like have some lines of prayer in there. Mm. That's great. Is it is it okay? You can totally like don't answer this if you don't want to, but for me, I think it's kind of interesting to get into the specifics of journaling just because that was a spiritual practice I was told to do growing up as a good little white evangelical. Mm-hmm. And uh when I go back and read those journals now, they're just like the most boring <laughs> like religious uh-huh. language that you're like, what are you even saying? You're just parroting what somebody else said to you. Right. Yes. And it's so devoid of realness. It's kind of terrifying to be perfectly honest. And so I, I journal now way more than I read the Bible, but it's mm-hmm. like a mess. Mm-hmm. I do like the artist way method where I just take three pages and I can write down my anxieties. I can write down my frustrations. I can write down, you know, what's going on with my kids, uh, the errands I have to run, just three pages of just like whatever mess is in my head. Hmm. And then I get up and go and I don't have to be like, well, when I die a martyr for the Lord and they publish my journals, it will be very spiritual to be like, oh, this girl is petty and has an anxiety disorder. Like that's what people will say, but it's, it's a spiritual practice to me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard for me to explain that. So I'm wondering, do you do that sort of thing? Like it's three pages every day of what's ever in, or do you sort of say like, I want to prepare myself for the day or I'm, I'm keeping a gratitude journal. I think people just have different ways of, mm-hmm. of using journaling. Yes. I mean, well, first I love that you just named how fake your original journaling was. And I Ooh. look back at my old journals and just like, every part of me cringes at the things that I've said. Um, And I've tried to be like, just love that former Cole, love 20-year-old Cole. We were trying so hard. (laughs) Yeah, she was up against a lot. (laughs) But um, I, I actually got a new journal at the beginning of the pandemic. And oh, well, by the way, I used to write as if someone was gonna read my journal entry as well. I'm like, I don't know who I thought I was. Even as a child, <laughs> I would like define things for the reader. Like I have, it's like LOL. And, and then in parentheses, it's it laughing out loud. I love it. It's a cultural artifact. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was thinking, but I um, was recently reading Thomas Merton's journals and he says some like pretty petty th- things in there um, about his fellow monks at times. Um, and I like just turned to my partner and I was like, if I die, 
burn everything, burn everything. <laughs> like burn it burn all it. under no circumstances <laughs> like if i die an early death hell i don't know if i can say hell in this podcast you but can. hell no <laughs> don't and if you care about me at all and you're listening you wouldn't even read that like um anyways i do consider it a a, a practice of of mine it almost it didn't feel initially like a spiritual practice, but I don't really have much of a form for it. I had a, um, well, my dad used to encourage us to journal, bribe us to journal. And then in college, I had a professor who said, you know, write a little bit every day, which is just very cliche advice, but I have followed it. So even if it's just a paragraph, I will journal. Um, sometimes it's a paragraph, sometimes it's 10 pages later. Um, and I'm like, where am I? Wow. I don't have much structure. Sometimes it's poetry. Sometimes it's prayers. Sometimes uh, it's very rarely reflecting on what has happened to me, but I'm starting to incorporate that more. And I'll just say very quickly about why that is. This is an original thought. I feel like I've read this somewhere. I had a conversation with someone once and we started down this line of thinking about journaling it's a pretty subversive act in the world of social media where, you know, you and I, we grew up journaling and our documentation and our sense of memory about what has happened um, was for the most part, it was private. It was a, a private experience usually and having all memory or, or most archived memory for a person, you know, a Gen Zer um I just feel for them <laughs> translated to the public sphere now. Now your, you know, your archived memory is mostly no longer situated in journaling or diaries or anything, you know, childish that we can now scoff at, but no one else is going to read. It's like it's it's out there in the public sphere and what that does to your formation to have all of your, you know, your memory curation, your memory collect recollection happening in a public space as opposed to a private space. So I think that's a really, you know, credible pro for diaries mm. and journals um oh my gosh you yeah you bring up some i feel like one day i would just love to hear you talk to somebody about just like the ethics and spiritual practices of social media because i feel like you have a lot to say about that and we don't have time to talk about it here which is unfortunate um but i think that should be something in the back of our minds as as we continue to talk about spiritual practices like how is social media um a part of this and and um our embodied spirituality there's so much to explore there I will say just as somebody who's been writing for, you know, over 10 years, I remember blogs are really big ways of like self-expression and they were very much like online diaries. Mm -hmm. And now it's like Instagram captions. Mm -hmm. And if you're really angry, then like Twitter threads, right? I love, <laughs> I love a good angsty Twitter thread, you know, like, mm -hmm. and it is fascinating to see Gen Z, what are they going to do? Like some people are very, very private and some people are, you know, it's all mm -hmm. out there and uh, I have a kid who's 11, so it's on my mind what's mm -hmm. going to happen as far as all of that. Um, now, we've talked about, you know, liturgies, written prayers, corporate liturgy, and you had mentioned liturgy as an act of solidarity and that being such an important, like, spiritual practice nowadays. And I think more and more people as they're, you know, deconstructing from conservative Christianity are finding out liturgy can be like so communal, um, mm -hmm. which is a really cool practice. Um, are there any other 
you know, spiritual practices that come to your mind that you're like, oh, I think I've been doing this. And, you know, maybe you were aware from the beginning that that was a spiritual practice, or maybe it's kind of come, come to you later. I just, I just wondered if anything comes to your mind. Yeah. Um, a number of things come to mind. I'm like toying with which one to say this, this is, say them all. You gotta say them all. (laughs) all. Now that you told me that. Well, I've been, um, my household has been becoming curious about darkness and light for the past few years, really. Um, And this is, it's not really, how do I say this? It's not like a weekly practice. Um, Once a month, oh, it sounds so weird saying it out loud. So once a month, we don't use artificial light in our home. Um, And this came about probably from some late night conversation about where we thought we were way more philosophical than we actually are. But um, I think it's been really meaningful for me to think about the role or really the power in being able to control light and how that's maybe been forming me um, my whole life, honestly, and how that the absence of that power would have formed my ancestors. Um, I, I think it's it's more than symbolic to me, but I want to use the word symbolic. It's much more than symbolic to me, but I'm using that word of like, um, darkness for a very long time has been, um, demonized, um, has been equated with, you know, evil, bad, yada, 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 contending with my own blackness. It's not too hard to understand how that could be troubling for a person making sense of their own connection to the divine in a black body or what people have named a black body. Um, My skin is brown. (laughs) But that, um, you know, singing that, that creepy hymn of like, white as snow what can make me white as snow i actually oh. don't know the hymn but uh it's it's really creepy to me honestly and really troubling to have to sing the sing those things so mm. we were doing some philosophizing about the the role of the light switch and just um how different that would have been for people who lived um before our times of like having so much of your day being subject to like the rising and setting of the sun how you know how that probably tempered our overworking our exhaustion because you know the light it when the when the sun goes down like no you can't grind until 12 Mm -hmm. in the morning you're you're kind of um brought into this natural system of like rest and sleep in a way that i think is really beautiful but i think it's also a practice of um around convenience of like how long am i willing to sit in the dark how am i w- really willing to wait till the morning am, am i really waiting willing to endure um and I, I have a lot i could say about darkness actually the longer we've done it the more i like every month i'm like oh i just thought about this new thing about darkness and you know the threats the things that are unseen in the dark and anyways it's it's a strange spiritual practice but i highly recommend it just try it you know even just once, I think you'll, you know, we use candles, so you're not just completely helpless. <laughs> um, but just practicing it once, I think, really reveals a lot about our impulses and I think translates to perhaps, um, maybe some will think this is a stretch, but I think it can perhaps translate to how we deal with um, those things 
for example, for how willing we are to really sit through the dark seasons of someone's life, how, mm. how, how willing we are to sit through someone else's pain and how um, inclined we are to, you know, flip the proverbial switch and try to make things bright and known and seeable and <laughs> calm again for them. Um, I think those impulses, at least for me, have really translated, you know, into one another. So I don't know if that makes sense. Oh my gosh. You just blew my expectations out of the water. I wanted people, I was like, are people ever even going to be able to think about something weird and really cool that they do? And I'm like, how could anybody ever top yours? (laughs) That was incredible. (laughs) And it's so weird, but it's so powerful sounding. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I can hear these threads of connection to, you know, the Jewish practice of Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. And Friday nights, I, I see I'm not very well versed in everything, but I believe, you know, just using candles and not using electricity as a part mm-hmm. of that up until the next day. And, you know, I love uh, Walter Brueggemann's Sabbath as resistance. And so viewing your once a month, you know, don't use electricity as a way of resisting just these dominant culture narratives we hear around us. I'm like, oh my gosh, we all need so much help mm-hmm. to be able to resist these narratives and anything creative, anything that gets us thinking is just so necessary and needed. So now mm-hmm. I'm like, how can I convince my 11-year-old and 6-year-old to do that. We will see. But that sounds amazing. And that perfect blend of embodied and creative and, uh, you know, just what we all need right now. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Um, anything else that comes to your mind along those lines? Um, along, I mean, this is uh, kind of easier. Well, it's easier for me. It might not be easier for everyone, but, um, silence. I've, I've said before that I, in the mornings practice an hour of silence before speaking. Well, it's my own silence. I don't demand that of my exterior, (laughs) my exterior world or the people in my house. Um, but I just don't speak. And that's been, um, a very complicated practice. Um, especially, I mean, because Black people have historically experienced silence um, as an oppressive force. Um, I found it a kind of beautiful way to reclaim that and reclaim my own agency over when I speak and when I don't. Um, but I began it really as an as a practice of solidarity and decentering and thinking, um, how do I, what's a, you know, spiritual practice I can do that will put me in the mindset of um, people around the world who don't have uh, much much of a way to have their voices be heard. That's a, a, a poor, a very poor way to say that for people who are, you know, have historically been silenced or excluded from, you know, global conversations. So I started it with that in mind and thinking, you know, if an hour, if an hour every day in your morning, you're somewhat inconvenienced by not being able to be heard or communicate efficiently, can you, in those moments of frustration, try to, um, cultivate some kind of empathy but it also became this reclamation of myself and my own silencing and thinking like no I have the power here and sometimes it's really complicated and difficult but sometimes you know I'm like writing something down (laughs) we try not to write either but like sometimes I'll be writing something for my husband and I'm like this just takes more time I should just say it (laughs) like this is ridiculous um but just withholding and just having that that sweet moment of like patience um, from him of like, you don't have to rush, um, for me. Like I'm going to, I'm going to wait for you. 
I'm going to wait for your voice. It's worth waiting for. Um, so yeah, that's been a beautiful practice. That is so, that's so cool. I've never heard of somebody doing that, but I love it. And that just gives me a lot to think about. I will say, you know, everybody's in different stages of life and I'm in like the one where I can't get like a moment of quiet or, or silence to myself. And I feel kind of uh, overwhelmed by that sometimes, but once a month I go out into the city by myself and I like the sounds of the city, Yes, uh, but then I don't have to talk to anybody because mm-hmm. I go by myself and I like to go to the art museum and just, you know, not talk at all. And it's just it's really, really helpful. And most of the people I really admire and love who were um, people of faith and people who wanted lives of justice, they have like, if not one, like two to three hours a day of being alone and um, doing their own work mm-hmm. before they go out into the world. And I know your prayers um, very much engage issues of injustice that are happening around the world. And so to me, I feel that centeredness and that silence that you uh, mm-hmm. operate out of because um we, we all know people who are just wonderful people, but who are out operating out of a place of that. This is, I'll just call myself out of just being so upset about the world, right? Mm-hmm. There's little we can add to anything just to say like, I'm freaking out. And you know, there's just, there's a time and a space for that. But when I look at like what I want my life to look at, I'm like, oh yeah, all the people I love, like silence is mm-hmm. a part of being engaged in this kind of work that I want to be in for the rest of your life. So I just think that's mm-hmm. such a beautiful um, reality that you've already, you're already kind of tapping into. Thank this you. Is, this has been so great. Um, uh, again, there's so much I could talk to you about, especially about um, liturgies specifically for, you know, social injustice, but hopefully this, this just means we're going to have to have you back into the program and, and talk about these things. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much. And I do want to tell people, of course, you can follow Black Liturgies on Instagram. You have a Patreon account and mm-hmm. people can support you there. And I'm like, you're just a few away from reaching like a thousand followers. So like, let's try and get you there mm-hmm. on, on Patreon. And it's just Black Liturgies, right? At yes. Patreon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you're on Twitter as well. Um, and then can you tell us really quick about your book? Because I'm yeah. like so excited about it. Can you tell us about it, please? I am excited as well. Um, my book is called This Year Flush, Spirituality, Liberation, and the Stories That Make Us. And so I'm really leaning on the stories of my father and my grandmother and um, connecting it to a lot of the things that Black Liturgies is kind of grounded on or, or is trying to be in conversation about things like um, dignity, belonging, rest, justice, liberation, lament, rage. Um, Those are some of the book chapters. So I'm um, drawing in a a practice of Black storytelling, of myth, um, and um, spiritual contemplation. So it's coming out February 22nd, 2022. So 2 2022 <laughs> So oh it's gosh, available for you, pre-order now. So did you pick that on purpose? That's like really cool. I absolutely did not. Didn't really have much of a say on it, a say in it, but um it is right before Advent, um, which I think will be lovely if it's it's not really an instructional type book, but I hope that it will make sense for people to read during the Advent season. 
Okay, like even just my when you're talking about the chapter titles, like my eyes got all teary. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I need you know, there's a real need for um just people naming all of those feelings. I feel I feel tired of being, you know, like am I the only one that feels rageful or sad or mm-hmm. um so beautiful to find other people practicing Christianity who are like I experienced these, here's how. And even though you and I are different, it's just, you know, it makes me feel less lonely. So thank you so much for the work that you do that has ministered to me and so many other people. Thank you for showing up with your whole self today and um, sharing some of your beautiful spiritual practices with us. I just feel very excited. Um, Thank you so much for this.